In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of all ages, amen. Last week we had one of the deacons uh, was uh, sharing a contemplation with us uh, for the, the Sunday sermon, and he um, noted to us that the, the readings um, in this month a lot of them have the phrase, he who has to e- ears to hear, let him hear. What Jesus is saying by that is he's putting emphasis. He's trying to say, listen, pay attention. Um, if you're going to pay attention to anything, pay attention to this. If you're going to listen to anything, listen to this. And so what is Jesus, what is Jesus talking about here? Um, in today's reading, Jesus says to the multitudes... Okay, so it's kind of important to know who the audience was. The, the, the audience was a multitude of people, right? And he says to them, he says to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must, right? And he starts explaining to them and giving them some, some things. The first thing he says to them, he says, you must hate if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, his own life He cannot be my disciple. Jesus is not telling us that these are entry requirements for the school of discipleship. These are prerequisites. These are the, you know, this is 101, 201, and 301 that you have to take before you're allowed to take 401. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that if you don't, if you don't fulfill these different things, then you're going to have a hard time. You're going to start the path But you're going to, halfway through, you're going to have a hard time. You're not going to find the path easy. You may find certain parts of the path unpleasant, right? Uh, One of my favorite verses, you know, I'm sorry if this has come up in several sermons, but honestly, I want to make t-shirts of this, you know? I bet you you we could, like, probably pay the mortgage of the church selling t-shirts of this, because people would be able to relate. St. Paul says, Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself in what he approves, right? So that means that if you approve of something, and you do it, And later on, you say, oh, gee, maybe I shouldn't have done that. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to, you're going to be a miserable person, right? So, you know, if, 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 if I'm trying to get fit and I go to the gym and I work out and all of this, and then I go have three cheeseburgers, right? In the moment that I'm faced with the three cheeseburgers, I say, you know, I approve of this. And then one second after the last bite is in my mouth... I say, gee, I shouldn't have done that, right? And I kick myself for it. St. Paul is saying, blessed is the person who just makes up their mind. Do I approve of this or do I condemn this? And they just do it. Regardless, he's not saying whether it's right or wrong. He's just saying, right? And where does he get that from? He gets it from Jesus here. Jesus is saying that being my disciple is going to one day cause you to have no one else to turn to other than me. So if you are very much attached to family, to friends, and so on. There's going to come a time where you're going to be following me, and you're going to feel tempted to look back. At another point um, in the gospel, Jesus says, Remember Lot's wife. It's one of the very short verses in the Bible. Remember Lot's wife. Three words, right? 
Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. God sent angels to go warn them of oncoming destruction if they don't change their ways. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah wanted to rape the angels. That's the amount of depravity of that city. They didn't know they were angels. They were just foreigners, right? They were banging down, going to knock down Lot's door saying, give us those men that we may know them carnally. Okay? That's the depravity of that city. God, the angels get Lot and his wife and his two daughters to escape by the skin of their teeth. They're walking away. Sodom and Gomorrah is going up in flames and Lot's wife looks back and she's turned to a pillar of salt. Jesus is telling us, remember Lot's wife. The only way I won't turn back The only way I'll drive right by McDonald's without thinking to myself, let me stop for those three cheeseburgers, is if those cheeseburgers no longer have a place in my heart. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, Jesus isn't against cheeseburgers and he's not against family. Jesus, obviously, from when he was on the cross, you can see that he dearly loved his mother and he dearly loved his disciples. You can see that he had very much a sense of family and was a very was very much had that familiar love that comes in family. But Jesus is telling us not to allow this stuff, not to allow this stuff to take our hearts. And then he says, he says to us that we have to take up our cross, right? And after he tells us to take up our cross, then he tells us to count the cost. And then he tells, tells us that we have to be ready to forsake all that we have. Finally, he finishes with a phrase and he says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is fit neither for land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus finishes with this business of salt and he doesn't introduce the concept. He just enters into it. He just says it as a statement. Salt is good. But if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? What is Jesus talking about here for you and for me? I'll tell you what Jesus is talking about. The salt that Jesus is talking about, okay? He says here, it will be neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill. I guess they used salt for agricultural purposes, and they probably used them for waste control purposes to try to control the infestation of bacteria and bugs and so on and this and that. But if the salt has lost... Its flavor, if the salt has lost its saltiness, if the salt has been compounded with other stuff, you know, so that it's no longer able to act, then it's not even, it's not even use, useful for the dunghill. The dunghill was like the mound of animal poo. That's what it, it's not even useful for that. Right? So then what do people do? They just throw it out because they have, they, there's nothing else for them to do with it. So they just, they just throw it out. What, what is the salt? What is the salt that Jesus is talking about for us and in our spiritual lives and in this upcoming fast and so on? Jesus is talking about this. Jesus is talking about the living action of His Holy Spirit in our lives. That's what He's talking about. Look, I'll tell you something. I've preached a whole bunch of sermons. There's a small team of people right now in the process of editing the sermons and making them sort of like podcast worthy, you know, just uh, some noise reduction and this and that and whatever. Great. 
Every now and again, they tell me, Father John, this part isn't clear. What were you saying? You know, because they're trying to understand the sermon, give it a title, give it some tags, and so on. So I'm listening to some of my sermons. Listening to some of my sermons, I can tell you some of them, God was really speaking. Now the sad thing is I can tell you that only some of them do I feel that God was really speaking. The other ones, I feel, are not fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but they should just be thrown out. What the world is desperately looking for today, desperately looking for, I can tell you this for fact. I wouldn't have left my career and left everything if I didn't believe this like I believe it to the core of my bones. The world is looking for a genuine witness of Christianity. People want to meet Jesus, period. That's what they want. That's probably what you want. You're probably coming to church today hoping that you could meet Jesus. Many parables start with, and -and so-and-so came wanting to meet Jesus. Many people in the 3rd and 4th centuries would go to the deserts to go and they would walk innumerable miles and they would travel through heat and austere environments to go and meet, to hear a word from St. Anthony, from St. Macarius, from St. Arsenius, from St. Moses. It's not uncommon, it's not unusual that people would know that there's treasure somewhere and would go out to seek it. And maybe some of you, some of you are here seeking Jesus. I'm sad to say, I'm sad to say that maybe the biggest obstacle of you meeting Jesus could be me. I'm not talking about my misdemeanor or misbehavior or you hear me say something or you hear me judge someone or be sarcastic towards somebody and say, oh my God, I can't believe Father John just said. I'm not talking about that. That's bad too. That's horrible. I'm not excusing that. That's terrible. Misbehavior is not acceptable from the leadership. I'm not talking about that though. I'm talking about when I come up here to say a sermon, and I'm using this as an analogy, but you apply it in your own life, okay? Preaching sermons is like my bread and butter, right? What's your bread and butter? If you're an accountant, I don't know, reconciling accounts with clients, that's your bread and butter, I have no idea, right? Uh, If you're, uh, you know, whatever it is that you do in your life, if you're a student, it's studying and so on, in your bread and butter, okay? In my bread and butter, every time I stand here, I have an option. To come and tell you what I want to tell you, or to pause and ask God to tell you what He wants to tell you. What God is desperately looking for is empty vessels, okay? Empty vessels. Why can't I fill this jug with more water? Because it's already full of water. It's already full of water. If I empty it, it can be filled, right? Right now, it's full of water, right? And it looks like it's full of water. If I want to fill this now with wine, how much wine am I going to get in here? Maybe about an inch, right? If I empty it and I fill it up, I'm going to be able to fill the whole thing with wine. If I fill this with wine now and I get about another inch in here and I pour some out for you, what's it going to taste like? watered-down wine. 
I know I'm, 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 I'm saying the obvious, okay? I'm, I'm, very, I'm very sure that you know this better than I do. If I pour the whole thing out, and then I fill it with wine, and I pour some out for you, what's it gonna taste like? The real stuff. The real stuff. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling us. He's telling us, I wanna fill you, but my life is full of junk. My life is full of clutter. My life is full of one four-letter word. My life is full of a four-letter word that starts with S. My life is full of self. Gotcha. My life is full of self. That's what it's full of. I'm full of myself. I know what I want and I know what I want to tell you, and I know what you need to hear, so I'm gonna... What kind of priest is that? Jesus is the priest of his church. But Jesus also wants to be the accountant in your firm, and the, the student who's in your group, your study group, and the, you know, and Jesus wants to be, Jesus wants to be everywhere, in every place, doing everything, for everyone. But he wants to do that through you. The reality is, is that I am presenting to you a watered down version of Jesus. Because Jesus is good. He comes and he fills the gaps. Wherever there's space, he'll come and fill. But because there's so little space, yet all, he fills it, whatever is there. I'm 97% full of myself. He fills the other 3% with him. But what do you end up getting? You end up seeing, you end up getting um, like a 97% John, 3% Jesus cocktail. Right? Which is bland if you've, if you've tasted the real thing. If you've seen the real thing. If you've experienced the real thing. In Jeremiah chapter 23 God goes ballistic. God goes nuts. He says, I hate the false prophets. The false prophets walk around saying, God said, God said, and I didn't say anything. And the false priests are leading the people to worship me, not the way I want to be worshipped. And all of these people are doing false stuff. It's not true. And no wonder the world is saying, I don't know if there's anything, I don't know if there's anything to this Christianity. Because the version that they're being presented with, the version that oftentimes I'm presenting, is mixed up. It's half self and half me and half God, and, right? Got like multiple personality disorder, you know? A little bit of this, a little bit of that, right? So Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, You've just got to look at yourself and turn it away. You've just got to take the picture and empty it. I've got to empty myself. So the church has put this reading for us in the first Sunday of the fast for us to, to, to realize that in the beginning of this fast, which its end is Advent, its end is Christmas, its end is incarnation of the Logos, its end is the coming of Christ. Jesus is going to come and he's going to fill you wherever you've got space for him. You have room in the inn, he's going to come to the inn. You have room in the palace, he's going to come to the palace. Wherever there's going to be room in Bethlehem, Jesus is going to come. Jesus is not going to look at you and say, 
you still, uh, you still have 45% selling. Go to hell. No, he's got, for, for, okay, there's 55% room, I'll fill it. I'll fill it, no problem, right? There's only room in the inn in Bethlehem, I'll fill it. I'll fill it with what? With glory, with light, with angels praising, right? God wants to fill our lives with glory. So now in the beginning of the fast, we have this opportunity. We have this opportunity to empty ourselves. To empty ourselves so that God can fill us. How? The readings, the earlier readings were very clear and very simple to encourage us how we can empty ourselves. The first thing that is, let us be courageous in the face of trials and tribulations. The, the Pauline epistle was telling us that God oftentimes uses trials and tribulations to glorify us. And in the introduction of the readings, I was talking about Abraham, right? And how Abraham had faith. But how would we know of Abraham's faith unless God tested Abraham? And when he tested Abraham, oh my God, did he give Abraham a difficult test, right? He gave Abraham a horrible test, a really difficult test. Why? Because God hates Abraham? Because God is cruel? Because God is mean? No, because until this day, three and a half thousand years later, we're still talking about the faith of Abraham. We're still talking about how faithful Abraham was. Why do we know Abraham was faithful? Because he passed the test. How do we know that he passed the test? Because God presented him with a test. So when tribulations come our way, I know what I'm saying is hard. I know what I'm saying is very hard. But if we're able, if we are able, let us look at this as an opportunity for God to shine through and to bring glory to His name, and to bring glory to Himself and us along with Him. If we're able, I know it's difficult when we go through hard times, I know it can be really painful, but let us, let us be confident that if, if, if God is your examiner, okay, you're doing an oral exam, that's your life hangs, you know, in the balance of this exam, right? And the examiner knows you, and the examiner loves you, and the examiner wants you to pass, and the examiner knows everything that you know and everything that you don't know. What do you think the examiner is going to ask you? The stuff that you know. So, when I'm in a test, and it's painful, and I'm worried, and I'm scared, and I don't know how it's going to go, let me be confident that God is going to get me through. Because if this test is from Him, He's only going to give me a test in which I will, I will shine so that He can be glorified and I can be glorified along with Him. In the second reading, St. Peter is giving us very practical advice. He's saying, you know what? We also used to walk in drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and lewdness. and We used to do all of that. But we stopped. And instead of that, I'm suggesting you be serious and watchful in your prayers, number one. Number two, I'm suggesting you have fervent love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. I want to tell you something. I'm reorganizing the service now and I'm trying to pair people up to work with each other. And I realized pairing up people with complementing talents is good. Then I realized something. And when people complement each other, that means they don't have stuff like in common. When you don't have stuff in common, those people usually irritate you. Then I started to look at pairs of people who work together in this church. And I re realized, these people have nothing in common. 
but they work together so well. And I realized, you know why they work together so well? Sorry to state the obvious yet again. Because they like each other. They like each other. Despite the fact of not having much in common, they're willing to bear each other's burdens. I'm not so punctual, Peter's on the dot. Peter and I work together, Peter tells me, come on John, don't forget, calls me 15 minutes later, huh, have you left home? Not yet, do you want me to send you an Uber, this and that, you know, and he's keeping me on time. And because I love him, we don't get on each other's nerves, right? Because I love him, we don't get on each other's nerves. Love covers a multitude of sins. We all have sins. We all have our shortcomings. We all have our faults. We all have our quirks and quirks. But love makes it easy to accept the weird things that other people do that you just can't get your head wrapped around. Right? St. Peter is saying, have fervent love for one another. You get along with everybody. Right? And the last thing he's saying is, nobody's perfect. Nobody has every gift. See what gift God has given you and serve each other with, that, with those gifts. You have a gift of hospitality? Great. Serve each other with that gift of hospitality. You have a, a gift of kindness. You have a gift of mercy. You have a gift of remembering people's names and what they do and where they're at and so on. Good. Ask about people. Whatever gift it is that God has given you, let us use the gifts God has given us for His, for His glory. All of this boils down to something. To this, to this dichotomy between the spirit and the flesh. To be full of God's spirit or to be full of myself. It all boils down to that. Do I want to nurture my flesh, myself, my ideas, my thoughts, my pride? Or do I want to nurture the spirit of God in me? It's one or the other. They are mutually exclusive, St. Paul tells us in Galatians. For the lust for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the, fl the flesh. And these two are contrary to one another. Either I will quench the spirit with my flesh or I will enliven the spirit by renouncing my flesh. Let us, you and me today, ask ourselves and ask God while we're praying in the liturgy. This is your one piece of homework that's going to take you about 35 minutes to do the remaining time that's left in the service before Holy Communion. Let us bow our heads. Let us clasp our hands and pray and ask God, God, what is the one thing I need to do, I can do, so that you can fill me more with your Holy Spirit? So I can be more genuine Christ, more genuine, full of His Spirit, and less, less watered down. What can I do, Lord, to pour out the water so that you can fill all of me, so you can be, fill me from tip to toe, so you, Lord, can be, you, Lord, can be the person in my firm, the student in my study group. You, Lord Jesus, can fill me and fill every place that I go to, just as you filled Bethlehem with all your glory on that day. Glory be to God forever and ever, man. I have sinned. Forgive me, my fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Please pray for me.